Think about where you get your groceries. How far do you go? I think an eight-minute walk from my house, like a eight to nine-minute drive, like a mile. So yeah, less than five minutes by car, and maybe fifteen minutes walking. Um, ten to fifteen minutes, depending on traffic. To Safeway, it literally takes twenty seconds. When we think about groceries, we often think about how much we buy. Probably seventy to a hundred dollars. Around fifty dollars, so it's usually between like fifty and sixty. Fifty to sixty dollars a week. Maybe how often we go? Once a week. About once a week. Sometimes once every two weeks. Once a week. Approximately twice a week. But it's one of those things that we never think about our access to it. It's just always there. We assume that it's there, or we assume that we will have a method of getting there. For me, I think it was—it's never been a conscious decision.、Um, mostly because places I've lived are in midst of many grocery stores. You know, I, I imagine if I moved to middle of nowhere, maybe I would kind of make that consideration. But I just never physically lived in an area that did not have grocery stores. We don't think about it. That is until it hits us square in the face. So, so growing up in Seattle, where I lived in Seattle, at least, like I always was. Fairly close to a grocery store, and I just honestly never really thought about not being close to a grocery store. And then living in Baltimore, it was like the absolute worst to have terrible options. Like it really was awful. So anyway, we are so spoiled because we're literally across the street from a Safeway、um, right now, which is and it's a Safeway that's pretending to be a Whole Foods, so it's very nice. This is an episode about groceries. Or specifically, what happens to people when they live in a place without groceries? This is an episode about food deserts. Take a moment to consider all the factors that impact your health. What comes to mind? Your diet, perhaps your lifestyle, like whether you exercise, drink, or smoke. Maybe you thought about your family history of diseases like cancer or diabetes. But health and well-being go beyond that. The field of public health is about thinking broader, thinking beyond the individual. About how our built environment affects us, how laws and policies impact us, and how the social forces influence our behavior and well-being. Each week, this podcast will discuss one topic from the wonderful world of public health to reveal these ubiquitous hidden forces and artifacts. One episode at a time, we will show how public health is all around us. Welcome to Everything is Public Health. Everything is public health. Welcome to the first episode of Everything Is Public Health. I am MJ, and I'm Cass. You have Instagram. You have social media, right? Correct. I don't know how often you see this, but I see a lot of diet fads and health fads. Ah,、uh, just algorithm generated, and they pop up sometimes. And oh, absolutely, I see them all the time. These like get rich quick schemes, but for health and diets, like yeah, this one thing is magically going to make you healthy. Yeah, and. They all, to me, they all have like very similar images. It's almost always like a young white woman holding a smoothie, and it's almost always a shot of like a top-down shot of a salad or an acai bowl. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking about、yeah. when I when I mention these like health fad. It's all about juices and cleanse, but the images are all very similar. And when I look at those, or I, I don't look at them when I see them by accident. <laughs> It it does come off. It does have a very strong undertone of, you know, if I could do it, you can do it too. It's very individualistic. It's all about. There's no such thing as an unhealthy person, only a a lazy person. Willpower. And that's that's always the undertone, and that always 
puts me off a little bit because it assumes that we have 100% control over our diet and it assumes that we have 100% control over our health, which is not true. Right. We're impacted by things around us all the time. What's available, what we know how to use, what we like, right? Like it's it's not just, oh, if I could make this one better decision, then magically I'm going to be healthy. It's It's a series of decisions and access. So yeah, so when we talk about like health and diet, I, I think we often forget about where we live and the environment around us. And so we're going to talk about this concept called the food desert, which um, without knowing what it is, what do you think a food desert is? Well, when I think about a desert, right, you you think about large stretches of land where there are not a lot of things, maybe some cacti, yeah, maybe maybe a few other animals and things, but like not a not a diverse. A robust environment. Yeah, for sure. So a food desert is kind of like that. But if you're imagining like really bad urban decays, if you're imagining like rundown houses, if you're imagining like empty streets, that's not quite what a food desert is. There are places that you wouldn't have never thought is a food desert, but actually is. For example, in Baltimore, uh, there are places where you thought, oh, this is just a normal neighborhood. It looks like a normal neighborhood, but it's technically a food desert. So let's go through. First of all, let's go through a definition of a food desert. A food desert is designated as area of low income, and that area, the majority of the residents in that area is more than a certain distance away from a grocery store or a food source. And that distance, depending on who you ask, changes uh, all the time. It could be a mile. It could be a quarter of a mile. Um, but essentially, that's what defines a food desert, uh, area of low income, and they are a certain distance away from a grocery store. Does access to transportation affect the distance that they use in the definition? Absolutely. And again, there's a lot of different groups and a lot of different, uh, the government defines it one way, a certain groups will define it another way, but access to transportation, whether it's public transportation or your own car is definitely something they take into account. Uh, a very crude measurement is they use poverty level because the assumption is if you live in a, a low income area, generally speaking, you're not going to have access to those transportation resources. But there are other groups that definitely actually survey the area to mark down, okay, how many households have a car? They have to, they definitely do that. But it really depends on what definition you seek. But um, definitely, because transportation really affects like how you get to a grocery store. That's 100% true. What you can purchase, right? Like if you, if you have a car, what you purchase may look very different than if you are taking the subway, riding the bus, or even walking. Or actually, I've seen folks in Baltimore riding those little scooters with grocery bags hanging off, you know, trying to to balance their scooters to get back, right? So it impacts what you can bring home with you. Yes. And so you might think a mile or a quarter of a mile is like not that far of a distance. But again, you need to consider modes of transportation. Like a mile by car is practically nothing. But if imagine if it's to walk a mile to groceries, like that's definitely going to impact what you can get and what you can bring back because you need to walk back too. If you are carrying groceries, you're probably not going to carry heavy things. And what sort of things are heavy? Well, vegetables are heavy in terms of if you consider their like mass to calorie ratios, right? Vegetables are heavy, right? You're not going to buy a watermelon if you're walking to get groceries. Uh, <laughs> a watermelon is technically a fruit, but yes, I, I get you. A watermelon is point. a fruit. <laughs> I don't know why I said vegetables and that said pick watermelon as an example. But um, 
Well, watermelon is heavy and it's unwieldy. Yeah, know, but even apples, you know, <laughs> also a fruit, but apple, <laughs> also heavy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Cabbages, cabbages. There we go. A heavy vegetable is a cabbage. There we go. But, uh, potatoes. Or potatoes are heavy. They're also a vegetable. Cauliflower. Cauliflowers heavy. are heavy, but if- anyway, you're you're <laughs> having been at a point in my life many years ago Uh when I didn't have a car and having to walk a long way, I I didn't buy a ton of fresh produce, A, because I was a, you know, relatively low-income graduate student. Uh I didn't have a lot of money to be spending on produce. And B, if I had to walk, like that was was a long way to go, a mile, carrying groceries. And so I had to prioritize what I brought home. Yeah. And uh, when you have to prioritize based on weight because you're walking, your your choices are definitely going to be different. Like a lot of liquids are heavy. So milk is very heavy. Water. Well, I don't know why you would buy water, but, you know, juice is very heavy. Potatoes are heavy. Um, and so you're definitely incentivized to buy those lighter but calorie intensive products, which, as we all know, are things like microwave foods, frozen, frozen foods. They're they're heavy, but they last for a long time. Prepackaged foods. Yeah. Calorie dense. Calorie dense. They keep forever because you don't want to go to grocery stores every three days. You want to go to grocery stores, you know, fewer than that. Yeah. So your choices definitely are impacted by the distance you you are to a grocery store and what modes of transportation you use. And that's sort of the the whole concept behind food desert is that our health, we can't really make those healthy choices if we're just living in an area where those healthy choices are simply not available to us. And one thing I want to point out about the definition of food desert is it's not just about distance. It has to be a low-income area. And uh, the reason being, uh, well, because we live in America. And America, I'm revealing my political uh, <laughs> my political inclinations already. Wow, that, that didn't take very long. We're only 10 minutes in. Um, but because we live in America and we are a country that's very much, if you have money, most of your problems will go away. So, for example, if you live in a very affluent suburban neighborhood, you may be five miles away from a grocery store, but you will not be considered a food desert because you have a car and people in that area are generally affluent and they have access to groceries via deliveries or just driving and just time. They have time to do it. Well, and at the same time, not just thinking about the money that the customers might have, the grocery stores, if if there is a grocery store situated near a low-income area... I'm assuming that they're going to prioritize different kinds of groceries that they carry or thinking about little corner stores, right? They're not going to carry a lot of fresh produce. They want things that are shelf stable. And so the quality of food that's even available in a particular area, like that can be impacted by the income of the um, the people who live there, right? Yeah, exactly. And this brings us uh, to this very important point, which is, why, why do these food desert exist? Like, why are there places where there's no access to good groceries? Well, uh, because we live in a capitalistic system, grocery stores don't decide where they are going to be based on needs. So they don't look at a map and say like, oh, this area doesn't have a grocery store. Let me just plop a redacted down here. They will prioritize where they put their stores based on how much money, how much revenue they could generate. And if you BTW just through redacted to the bus, but that's cool. <laughs> okay, I'll edit that out. I'll redact it with a redacted. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I shouldn't do that, huh? We might, might get in trouble. But okay, I'll redact that out. But yeah, so they don't decide where they want to place their stores based on their need of the people in that community. They place their where they want to base their store based on how much revenue they can generate. So they're not going to look at a map and say, oh, let's place it where there's no grocery stores. They're going to look at a map and say, oh, this is a high income area. So therefore, we're going to probably place our store here so that could, we could sell things to people who actually have the money to afford them. And as a result, it, it turns into a vicious cycle of if an area is low income, the grocery stores are not going to place themselves there. And therefore, that place turns into a food desert. And because that place is a food desert, no one wants to move there. No one wants to live there. And therefore, it just turns into a vicious cycle. Well, and even even beyond no one wanting to move there, the people who already live there who often are experiencing concentrated disadvantage because of racist policies and systematic disinvestment, they then have fewer options. Yeah. And the options that are available are often really unhealthy. That's that's definitely uh, that's definitely the case. And so the reason why I, I always get annoyed when I see those Instagram health health posts. Bring it back. Bring it back. Yeah, it's it's because they they just assume that everyone can do this, which that's in fact not the case. Like, you cannot expect someone to make healthy choices if they live in a place like a food desert where they simply don't have access to those resources and they simply don't have access to those healthy choices. Well, and and putting those, let's put access aside for just a moment, uh-huh. because many communities have had limited access for so long. Even if individuals then suddenly have access to fresh produce, there's actually really compelling evidence to suggest they don't always know what to do with it. They don't know how to prepare it. So uh, one of our colleagues at the School of Public Health, Dr. Julia Wolfson, did really, really interesting work. She was a chef and then came back into public health, which is just a cool thing on its own. Um, But she did focus groups with women in Baltimore and learned from them that they even if you provided them with healthy food options, they didn't always know how to prepare them. And so it's important that even if there was access, which is often not the case in these food swamps, that just providing people then with here's some produce, that's not the end, right? We need to think about how they're going to work that into their diets, how they learn how to cook them. Not that they don't know, they just haven't been exposed to how to use these uh, food options. This is going to be a recurring theme on this show where health behaviors are very, very hard to change. And you can't provide someone with a resources and just, you know, wash your hands and be like, all right, that's they know how to use it now that you definitely that's definitely a long process. If you live in a food desert for your whole life uh, and your diet habits is a certain way because that the fact that you live in a food desert for your whole life, a sudden access to a grocery store is not going to overnight change your eating habits. That's such a core Mm -hmm. idea in public health, which is. There's no one-size-fits-all solution, and you really have to meet people where they are. You have to provide them the education or resources or whatever it is that they need, regardless of the topic, at the point where they are that they can then be ready to make a change, right? Like, not everyone is ready to make that change, and so, anyway, you have to meet people where they are. Exactly, and this is why public health is so important, because public health encompasses these concepts of beyond the individual. Your health is not just about what you eat. It's not just about what your willpower allows you to do. It's also about where you are uh, physically, even in a, what, what neighborhood you're in and what's your distance to groceries or do you have access to a car? Do you feel safe walking to the grocery store? 
yes, do you feel safe walking to the grocery stores? Uh, I don't know about you, but I have definitely gone grocery shopping, taking the bus, and that is a very miserable experience, um, having to wait in line with heavy groceries, having to walk from the bus stop back home and do that a few times and you will probably get groceries less often. Yeah, it's really, it really is about seeing the world as interconnected, right? Like no, no one individual, as much as we might like to think in, in the United States, because we're a very individualistic society, as much as we like to think that we are an island and we are our own sort of whatever, we are tied to people around us, to our communities, to the environment around us. And all of these things, it's like these sort of concentric circles that shrink down with the person in the middle, the individual in the middle and their own health. And sort of each layer out is another factor that can influence the way a person lives and is healthy. This is the classic public health diagram that they show to all intro to public health classes. Socioecological model, baby. Exactly. The the donut rings. There's like seven rings or something. Are we up to 10 now? It's, there's a lot of rings. Certainly a lot of factors beyond an individual that impact their health. I think it could just be summed up as no one lives in isolation. Like the individual is not isolated and we're definitely a product of our environment. So in terms of solutions, well, there's there's two levels of solutions I want to talk about. There is the individual level, like what can you as listeners do right now? And there's big picture solutions. So let's go through the individual solutions first. You know, <laughs> the reality is there's probably very little you can do to convince your local groceries chain to open a store in certain areas. But what you can do is vote, especially in your local elections, because a lot of these things are very localized. A bad mayor can ruin a lot of things. A bad governor can ruin a lot of things. So vote in your local elections. Always vote down ballot. Yes. Always vote down ballot. Don't just vote for your senators, your governor, president. Vote in the midterm elections. Fill out the, the city council and the mayor. Like you got those down ballot votes are so important for us in our communities. Yeah. And we will do a whole episode. We'll do a whole series on voting. So uh, stay tuned for that. Now, beyond voting, uh, the fact that you are learning about these things, the fact that you're listening to this podcast, the fact that you're more aware of this topic, you are already doing a lot better than you than you were before. So definitely more awareness. And the more people we have that's aware of these topics, the better. So that's sort of the individual solutions. Um, again, we are living in a system and it's very hard to change the system, but you should always hold on to those small things, I think. I would just add that if you are so inspired by our public health conversations, mm -hmm. you should consider getting a, a degree in public health and joining the workforce. Yes, there are many public health programs around this country. Um, Obviously, you know, Hopkins is where we came from. So, but, you know, we're not going to be biased. Number one school of public health in the world, baby. <laughs> we're not going to be biased. No, <laughs> no bias in this podcast. We're going to encourage people to apply to uh, multiple places, uh, wherever they are, whatever fits them. Um, but yes, definitely, if you are inspired, pursuing a career in public health definitely helps as well. Now, in terms of big picture concept, uh, uh, sorry, big picture solutions, uh, I found two so one of the solution is certain cities, especially uh, this is an example in Baltimore City, they're offering residents who live in food deserts uh, rideshare credits, so Lyft or Uber credits, for them to go to the grocery stores and come back. So that's one example of 
a city city based solution where they directly provide the transportation means necessary to people. I think that's a great option because it addresses multiple issues at once. It addresses an individual's lack of sort of transportation access. It addresses how many groceries they can bring home with them. And it also addresses like they don't have to get a, a zip car or pay for the Uber or Lyft themselves. So that's more money that they have to be able to buy fresh produce and other healthy foods. Yeah. And Lyft and Uber aren't exactly cheap. So definitely this is this is a sort of assistance that we hope to see very positive outcomes out of this. And we have, I think there's the preliminary data does show that people are using the programs. And that's good news. A second option, this is a more government type of option. Uh, well, I guess the first one was too, but this is the more larger scale government type of option where they provide uh, subsidies to grocery stores for opening in certain areas. This one is a little harder to see the direct impact because you can also, you could always make the argument of, well, you know, how much subsidies are we going to give them? Because if we give them too much subsidies, then maybe overall from a budget standpoint, it backfires on us. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm a little, I have a little mixed feelings about this because I guess we needed to get into the details to sort of figure out whether this solution is a good one. But what do you think? I think there is potential, right? So one of the ways that we motivate companies to do things for the greater good or for public health benefit is to incentivize them. <laughs> we need to motivate companies to do the right thing. Sometimes, yes, unfortunately, just, you know, I would say a, a different approach, perhaps, uh, that still requires some government intervention, but provides resources in a different way is universal basic income and making sure that everyone who lives in a community has at least some base level of resources and support that they can use. This is not welfare. This is not food stamps. This is just saying everyone who lives you know, in Maryland, for example, uh, gets universal basic income. And there's reason to believe there's some evidence from um, some other countries that this improves health and wellness, and it could improve people's access to fresh fruits and vegetables by making it easier to purchase them, easier to get there, having more money that sort of thing so yeah and this is an even higher level solution instead of grocery levels subsidizing grocery stores you're actually providing the people with means to buy and access uh, groceries by giving them income and other things right like maybe it helps them cover their rent you know it's it just think, how do we want to prioritize who's getting the resources at the end of the day right because a grocery store you put it in a new area you could be having jobs which would be great you know, uh, better access for people, but that company is getting some incentive to be there. Or you can provide those resources directly to members in your community that could be used on a range of resources. So it's just a, a different approach to the problem, maybe even a complementary approach, who knows? Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the beauties of public health is that we need to be very creative with our solutions. Because oftentimes changing the whole system is not an option. So we oftentimes need to think of creative ways to approach a certain problem from many different perspectives. So that's just a, a glimpse of what a, perhaps a large scale solution may look Absolutely. like. Absolutely. And we didn't get to this issue of having food deserts overnight, right? It wasn't like suddenly somebody decided, oh, no, we're going to remove all the fresh produce. This was decades of disinvestment in communities, concentrating low-income individuals into certain areas of cities where they had lack 
uh, of access to resources. So it's not going to be one thing that gets us out and it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take sustained effort and investment. Exactly. And I think this goes back to the whole concept of our system doesn't incentivize based on need, it incentivizes based on revenue. And that's, at the end of the day, that's going to affect where things are. So this is episode one, Food Desert. We hope you uh, enjoyed it and we hope you learned something new today, some new public health concepts today. And stay tuned for more Food is Public Health episodes. This is definitely going to be something that we revisit again and again because there's so much to discuss about what food is and how that impacts our health. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, subscribe and spread the word so more and more people can learn about the wonderful, omnipresent essence of public health, like food deserts. You can follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH to stay up to date on new episodes, public health news, and more. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. No spaces. Also reach out if you think we missed an important element or suggest a future episode topic. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Crifasi. And if you're interested in seeing any of my delicious gluten-free baking creations, you can follow me on Instagram at CassPhD. She is a very good baker, and and I do recommend following her on Instagram. Why, thank you. Please also give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It does help us immensely. Don't forget to like, share, and comment as well. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page, and you can find the link in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health. <laughs>